Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, it's Doc Huffberry coming to you again from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us on the Dear Doc podcast, where we try to help you guys answer questions that you send in to us anonymously, and also to give you a little bit of business acumen whenever it comes to running your practice, or even today, maybe just making your life a little bit better. So today's guest is Bob Bertman. Now, Bob, you do what I, I consider to be something really cool, you kind of help people on both sides of the loan process. You know, in, in one capacity, in one company you work for, you actually help families to budget. And specifically, you help them to budget in such a way that they can make sure their kids can go to college and not get into, you know, these obscene debt loads that, that some doctors have. But on the other side of things, uh, you also work for a company that helps students who already have student loans to, to make the most responsible decisions the best decisions for themselves long-term so far as accruing more debt. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your credentials, and um, and then we can kind of dig deep on some of your your recommendations for uh, what people can do themselves and and what they really need to to seek out professional help for. So without further ado. Yeah, well, thanks for for having me. Um, Yeah, so my name is Rob Bertman. I'm senior consultant and student loan planner. and I also have my own company called Family Budget Expert, which I'm the founder of that, which has been around for, I guess, five years now. <laughs> um, but at Student Loan Planner, what we, what we do is we help a lot of professionals, graduate level professionals, dentists especially, graduate with more debt on average than any of the other professions out there. You know, Absolutely. four, five, six hundred thousand dollars plus. And if you go into a subspecialty like orthodontics or periodontics or endodontics, oh, it, it or whatever, can get up there. It really can. It can get up there for sure. So, uh, so what we do is we help dentists navigate their student loan repayment strategy so that instead of having to build their career and design their practice ownership potentially, or if they're associating around their student loans, they can actually design their career and design the student loan plan that will fit neatly around that, that will help them accomplish their career goals. Well, so what are some of the mechanisms that, that you, you use for, and, and what are, what are some things first that, um, that that dentists and doctors in general, professionals in general, should be thinking about whenever they're approaching their loans? And, and what are some of the, the special ways that you can design these programs to, to maximize the amount of money that stays at home? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the number one question, right? It's uh, the way to think about it is that student loans uh, operate different than any other kind of debt out there. So student loans, they have a whole different set of rules. The interest works differently. And I would say that really when we're talking about paying back student debt, what we want to do is we want to either go all in, throw everything you can to pay back the loan as fast as possible, sort of the old traditional way of paying back debt. But also with, uh, with student loans, you can do what's called income-driven repayment, where you pay based upon your income right, rather than um, paying based upon what you earn. So yep. if you decide to be a practice owner, for example, you can put a bunch of money away pre-tax to have your payments be reasonable and with, with maybe loan forgiveness at the end of it. And so it, what matters yeah, You just, you just caught my interest there pre-tax because I always have been taxed on everything, you know, that I pay into my student loans. And it's, it's always been a sore point for me that I've always felt that it should be an above the line tax deduction at the, at the very least. So 
Talk to me about how that works. That, you've, you've really piqued my interest on that one because I hate paying taxes. <laughs> well, with, with student loans, um, the, the student loan payments based upon your income are based upon what's called adjusted gross income. So you have your gross income at the top. That's kind of like your salary or your income, what you brought in. And then you have your pre-tax deductions. So the biggest ones would probably be you know, pre-tax retirement plans, um, maybe some health savings plans, anything, health insurance, stuff like that comes out after gross income, but before this adjusted gross income. So okay. if, if dentists can put their money away pre-tax, that will lower their income so that when they're looking at paying back their student loan payments, the number that's calculated is lower. Now, things like standard deduction, you know, um, uh, home and mortgage deduction, that all comes after adjusted gross income. But for a practice owner, you know, any, all that business income is already after all the deductions taken within the business. So and, okay. and the goal is the goal is that any dentist that really owes more than I'd say you know one and a quarter their income so maybe a dentist making three hundred thousand and owes four hundred thousand or more for example they would want to take maybe an income driven approach to their loans whereas opposed to a dentist who's making three hundred thousand but owes only two hundred thousand might want to take that aggressive approach to paying back their loans yeah that makes a lot of sense so walk us through a little bit of what you do yeah so what we do is we uh, anyone who wants to, they can sign up for an, an hour long consult. We do it based upon debt amount. So dentists usually fall in the 200 to 400,000 or the 400 K plus of student debt. And there's a, there's a consult form to fill out. It takes about 15 minutes, which will give us all the critical sort of the, like the numbers and information of, you know, kind of what we're looking at. Right. And then on top of that, there's a student loan uh, file on studentaid.gov that people send to us so we can kind of analyze it, see the repayment history and everything like that. So that's in advance of the meeting. So when we actually get to the call, uh, we, we spend an hour together really talking through what are your goals? What are your aspirations? How have you been approaching loan repayment? What's your family situation? What do you, what do you want to do with your career and your life? Because what that, that does, that becomes kind of the lens with which we want to view the student loan repayment strategy. You know, there's the optimal numbers thing to do, but then there's also how do we fit this around your life and your career goals? So then we spend an hour talking about explaining the different repayment options narrowing down on the one that financially works best. And if that's in alignment with what they want to do, what feels best for their career, then great. If, if they're a little bit different, then we want to talk about the pros and cons of each one. And really by the end of the day, what happens is anyone who has a console with us has a very clear path forward. They, they know all the numbers. They, have all, they finally have that clarity rather than being anxious about their, how to pay back their six-figure student debt. Um, and then after that, we're around for six months. We include six months of email support so that people can as they have questions, as they're implementing the plan with what we talked about, that we're still around to help support any way that we can. So basically you guys laid out for them. What is you, what, what would you say is the success rate of, um, of them following the plan? You know, implementation is the big, big bugaboo, isn't it? Uh, just about anything. Yeah, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, what, what is your percent success rate there with them implementing and staying on, on the plan? Well, we know that the it's almost like a set it and forget it, actually. So a lot of times, once we have the plan, it could be switching to a different repayment strategy. It could be doing some other things to lower adjusted gross income, uh, talking through strategies like that. If they're going for taxable loan forgiveness, it's all about how to save up for the potential tax bomb down the road. And then once we, so then we put together a recap email and send it to them with all the steps after we've talked through it in person or uh, over the, over Zoom, I guess, right? Um, and then, 
And then they'll go and implement it. And basically, once they take the steps to switch the repayment plan, open up this account, start investing in their pre-tax retirement, stuff like that, it's almost kind of an automated plan. And the projected savings, you know, is, is in the five-figure range for most people that we deal with. Excellent. You know, one of the things that I've heard about for, um, for saving for that tax bomb, for any tax bomb, really, uh, and I've actually used this strategy myself, I hope it works really well because I'm doing it, um, is to um, take out a, a whole life policy, put money into the whole life policy because your tax dollars today are always going to increase the number of dollars in the future, right? And so you kind of plan for that by having a, you know, a payout at the point where those taxes become due. What kind of strategies do you guys use to, uh, to work for that, for, to, to plan for that tax bomb? Yeah, so what, what we talk about is, is normally investing in what is sort of a taxable brokerage account. So just kind of think of it like a retirement account, but you, there's no, there's no uh, cap on how much you can put in. It's kind of like a savings account, but invests like a retirement account. And what that does is it enables you to have the money accessible at any time we try to keep the fees really low, you know, working with, uh, you know, some of the, the, it's really one of the great things about today is that it's never been easier and less costly to invest over the mm -hmm. long run. So um, what we recommend is people actually, you know, buy low cost ETFs at Vanguard or Schwab or Betterment, or if they, if they have more complex needs, they should probably work with a financial advisor, or financial planner on how to implement their strategy. But for the most part, by the end of the day, they'll know the exact dollar amount that they need to put away. We assume a certain rate of return on that money. So that by the end, by the time they reach that 20 or 25 years or whatever's remaining of that till they get to that taxable loan forgiveness, they know that there's a high likelihood that if they save this amount a month that they'll get there. Interesting. So, you know, we, there's an old saying, it's an old Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times. It's actually a curse. Um, and uh, recently, I would say definitely at the beginning of this decade here, um, this upcoming decade, I should say, since we're in 2021, we've been living in some very interesting times. It's just like, you know, the 2019 took a great big old dump and now here we are. So talk to me a little bit about how some things may have changed in response to COVID or in response to any new government regulations or um, even, even change of administration that people should be aware of whenever it comes to these, these loan repayments. Well, there's a lot of talk um, about loan forgiveness options now for people. Uh, I would say probably the biggest thing was Congress, you know, in a bipartisan fashion, which, you know, these days that's, that's telling rare, very something. rare, <laughs> <laughs> but they enacted the CARES Act, which suspended student loan payments starting March 13th of 2020. Um, and then by executive action, by executive order, President, former President Trump extended that through December 31st or January 31st. And then when President Biden took office, he then extended it through September 30th to 2021. So both sides of the aisle are, have been really committed to taking the burden off of people in terms of student loans because it's a hot button issue, number one, right? There's 45 million people out there with, with student loans. Um, and you know that's a big number of people. And these are highly educated people with means that are a good constituency base for politicians. So it's just, I'd say- right you know, it helps the borrower in the end, but it's also maybe good politics for, <laughs> right. for, for anyone in Congress or, you know, in any office. One of, but One of the things ahead. that comes up there anytime that someone takes that kind of action, uh, particularly unilaterally, like, like it appears that they have, um, is that, you know, it, it helps the borrower, borrower definitely, um, but it does hurt the banks, doesn't it? Because those are those are, those are funds they were counting on in their, their prospectus, what their future was going to look like. And, um, 
so they were counting on those profits. So it does, it does actually kind of hurt the market too. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, in this case, they didn't, they didn't enact the legislation that would affect private student loans so, or any type of loans that were held by, by private banks. The only loans that got that sort of treatment are ones that were held by the Department of Education, so the federal government. So as a taxpayer, yes, right. you know, this is a cost, this is a program that costs money. Um, and this is kind of the rub, you know, when they talk about loan forgiveness, uh, student loan forgiveness, whether it's the 10,000 variety or the 50,000 variety or total student loan forgiveness, it's kind of a, it's a tricky situation because yes, there's 45 million people out with student debt. And if you wiped away 50,000 for everyone, you might get rid of two thirds of the people who have student debt and might lower that number to like 15 million. Dentists right. would obviously be in that category with remaining debt. Obviously. Um, but the problem is, <laughs> yeah. But the, but the other thing is that there are two thirds of the population of the U.S. population had never went to college, so they don't have student debt. So you're it's kind of like giving a benefit to a certain group of people, but not to another group of people. Right. And that's where it kind of gets the, to be the slippery slope where I think if you're on the, you know, the progressive side, the Democratic Party is saying forgive debt for everybody. You know, the Republican side is saying, you know, no, for, no forgiveness. We'll want to make repayment possibly easier, but we, we don't want to do that. And I think where President Biden is, he's kind of somewhere in the middle there where he's, you know, maybe 10,000 for everybody, which would clean up. I think it's about a quarter or a third of people with student debt might clean up their debt. Or you might do it based upon income, or you might do it based upon um, uh, um, like age. You know, we're seeing all these different ideas being thrown around. Um, <laughs> I, we, we think in the end, it's going to be more targeted relief for people that are really, you know, where it's a pro where it's a problem for them. So, but I yeah. guess we'll see what happens. <laughs> we will. You know, I, I, my crystal ball is actually out in the shop. Um, I don't know when I'm getting it back. So um, <laughs> it was obviously broken because I, I didn't see I didn't see 2020 coming, you know, but um, hey, you weren't the only one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no kidding. No kidding. So, you know, they, I, I had a, a civics professor a long time ago, um, I think probably when I was in high school and he defined politics as one of two things. Who gets who gets when who gets what when where and how or the organization of hatreds. He said it never really accomplishes anything except for those two things. And I, I think I think even even this many years later, I, I still completely agree with his assessment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, politics is that has definitely come to the forefront. I think even people who are unaffiliated or you know not involved in politics, certainly 2020 and the beginning of 2021 is the year of everyone being hyper aware of politics and I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Okay, so We've covered some of the things that may have changed with COVID. Is there anything else or any special programs people need to be aware of? You know, there, these, these things are usually kind of divided amongst things that people could go out and do for themselves easily and things that even if they could do it, they probably should get a professional involved to make sure that they get the best bang for their buck or so they don't mess something up. Talk to us a little bit about the things that they can do by themselves, and then we'll dive into the things that they really need a consultant like you to help them with. Yeah, I would say in general, there are two ways to go about paying back student loans, which I talked about before. So I think what, where people waste a lot of money, and this is something that people can do on their own, is you know, if you're kind of in, in between where maybe you're on income-driven repayment, but you're making extra payments, um, that could be costly. Or if you're wanting to be aggressive and pay back the debt in full, but you're not paying it back fast enough, that is also very costly. So you kind of have to figure out which lane do you want to be in and then fully commit to that lane. And right. I call that middle kind of the murky middle. It ends up being very, very expensive for people and student loan borrowers end up spending 
a lot more money paying back their loans than they otherwise need to. So again, anyone who has, you know, you know, maybe if they owe less than what they make and they don't have any options for forgiveness and anything like that, then they can probably feel pretty confident going after their loans all in, especially Dennis making multiple six figures with, I want to say, quote unquote, low six figure student debt with no forgiveness options might just be okay paying it back aggressively in 10 years or less if you can. Um, but those are kind of in the middle there, maybe owe around what they owe or a little bit owe more than what they make. Um, and they're having trouble kind of getting their head around or like getting clarity. Uh, at the end of the day, like understanding the numbers is really, really important. But the biggest relief that I see is when people have just a good, clear sense of, I know this is the right thing to do. I know why to do that. And that's really, if, if student loans are becoming a source of anxiety or, you know, indecisiveness or not really sure what to do, then definitely work with a student loan planner because we can help you get to the end of it. Um, we've got, you know, almost a thousand uh, reviews on our website too of people who have gone through. We've consulted with over 5,000 people advising over a billion dollars of debt, of student debt. So we, we've done this a lot and have helped a lot of people. Fantastic. So um, how, does, how much does that usually cost the, the person who's using you guys? And um, also, how do they get in contact with you? Yeah. So if you go to studentloanplanner.com slash help, it has all the details, you know, what the consult process looks like, access to the calendar. Um, there are a bunch of us consultants that we all have advanced degrees. So we're either CFPs, certified financial planners, CFAs, chartered financial analysts. Some of us have our CSLP, the certified student loan planner designation. Um, all of us have some sort of advanced designation, financial designation. So we're not just, you know, people who don't have any like financial background, even before dealing with student loans. Right. Well, um, and, and that's, that's also important yeah. in the fact that um, many of these degrees also come with a fiduciary responsibility, meaning you've got a legal responsibility to give the advice that's right for the client and not necessarily most beneficial to you, which I think a lot of people don't understand. A lot of these people who quote, do financial planning, who, who aren't CFAs, they don't have a fiduciary they can make whatever decision I'm going to get you put over here in this mutual fund because I get a kickback from them or what have you. There are right. laws that you have to operate within that they don't. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, and, and I'd say that a lot of websites out there, their, their main goal, the way, main way that they make money is by people refinancing their student loans. Right. And they get a cut of the refinancing revenue. So whatever someone refinances, they'll get a certain percentage of that. Now we have refinancing page too, and we, we do the same thing, but we offer High, the highest cashback bonuses out, bonuses out there, as far as I know. And then also when we do the consults, rarely do consults end up in saying like, hey, you need to refinance your loans. If we see a, a very, very clear refinancing case, we'll say, you know, we'll say, you know, don't even pay for the consult, just go ahead and refinance. Right. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you want to make sure that, you know, there's a lot of money in refinancing out there. And we certainly, you know, participate in that through referral programs too. But our main number one goal is to make sure that people have the optimal plan that they can afford, that they uh, feel good about, and that's going to help them save the most money paying back their student loans. Absolutely. So um, quick question. I want you to run us through a um, just very simple analysis, and I want you to get super in-depth, like I know you guys do whenever you're actually helping someone. But okay, so let's say you've got a family, and I want you to put pen to paper here. You got something right with? Yeah. Okay, you've got a family. Um, stay-at-home mother, let's say they've got two kids, and um, dad brings home $350,000 per year as a dentist. He um, makes five hundred grand a year. Mm. He's thinking about doing the, um, the 
income-based payment plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, he's wanting to know if I do this, I know that there's a forgiveness after a certain period of time. Where's my benefit? What does the break-even point look like? And when is this smart? Whenever it comes to, like you said, that tax bomb, because a lot of people don't realize when debt is quote forgiven, that debt is income. Right. Right. So now for someone making that $500,000 mark and if they owe 350, they're mm-hmm. probably going to want to do, um, I'm just moving around on my computer here so I can pull up the actual numbers. They're going to want to do an income driven repayment plan, or they're going to want to do an aggressive approach because if they're making 500 grand and, and making 350, let me just update my numbers here on the computer. Okay. Um, all right. Um, then what's going to happen is uh, that dentist, let's just say they're starting repayment today. That dentist is going to have payments of about close to $4,000 a month. And they're going to pay off the loan in 10 years <laughs> without right. refinancing. So, so, and if they're, if they're at like a 6.8% interest rate or, you know, with grad plus loans and stuff like that, it's looking like that would be, you know, a very costly option in that case to actually go for income driven repayment where they'll spend, you know, close to $500,000 paying back their loans in their $350,000 loans in full. And they'll be paid off. They won't even make it to the 20 to 25 years. Um, whereas if they refinance and, you know, refinance down to 4% or something like that, then, you know, their payments, instead of being 4,000 would be 3,500 ish. And then they'd end up, you know, saving about $80,000 paying back their loans the aggressive way. Plus the plus or minus really the haircut of the refi, right? Well, there's no, there's no uh, closing cost for refinancing. Oh, okay. So, so unlike, un- unlike, unlike everything else in the world. Yeah. That, so again, student loans are totally different. So you can refinance. There's no closing costs. They'll offer you the best rates. There's, you can refinance again in six months. It doesn't cost anyone anything. If you can get a lower rate, it's always worth it to refinance. That's so fantastic. That's I never knew that. Yeah. It's different than a mortgage where there's sort of like, well, you got to pay for seven years until you get that payback of the closing right. cost. Student right. debt, you get an immediate relief. So there, there's actually a point I'm making here with this specific scenario. Let's keep everything else the same. Same guy, except this time he hasn't been out for three or four years mm-hmm. or five years. He just got out of school. The first mm-hmm. job that he landed, it is, I don't know, during Corona, what have you. Mm-hmm. He only brings home 90 grand. How do our numbers mm-hmm. change then? Well, Completely the different picture. Completely different picture. Now, if, if they're going to be associating and making maybe like 250 eventually, let's just say in maybe three years, they're, you know, they go from, you know, 90,000 to, you know, to 250,000 or something like that within a few years. Um, let me just update my numbers here. That yeah, you're, be, you're, that you're be, already on the same track. It, that, that's exactly the point I wanted to make is it depends on where your career you are. Uh, right. For the same person. So I definitely recommend that uh, new dentists, every single new dentist should probably talk to somebody about this as quickly as possible. Yeah, no question. The sooner, the sooner you understand the repayment strategy, the better it's going to be. Um, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, if you, a lot of times people book consults with us right before they graduate. <laughs> That's good. Know, because there's, there's, yeah, there's also an intermediate strategy where you can start on one plan so that you can save money, build up your financial foundation, your financial stability, and then go into aggressive repayment when you do that. Or maybe you want to save up for practice ownership. You know, you need to have three to 10%. Which is probably in this last scenario that I gave you, what is the most appropriate model? 
you know, is, is to do that, is to do an intermediate plan where initially you're on the income driven and then you can switch to something else as your income goes up. Yeah. But, as you know, the income is so much drastically better for practice owning dentists that and if the, the number one priority for anyone who wants to do that is to get there as fast as possible. So that's keeping everything, right. all payments as low as you can and, and sit, building up that saving so that when a bank looks at you, wants to give you a dental practice loan, that they say, yep, we'll do it. Uh, we're going to get in a position as fast as possible to do that. Well, Rob, is there anything I haven't asked that I should have? Uh, in regards to student loans, I think I think we covered everything. We covered a little bit of the, you know, maybe forgiveness is on the table. We talked about the 1.25 debt to income ratio. That's sort of the, the way to figure out whether you should maybe go income driven repayment or aggressive repayment. Um, we haven't gotten into any details about how the income driven plans work, which I'm happy to do. But if, if you think that's a little bit too much detail, then we don't have to go down that road. No, I'd actually like you to cover that as in depth as possible. Um, we've been on for about 30 minutes now. So I think we've got, we've got a good ways to go to, to flesh out the rest of the episode. So you've got all the time in the world. Okay, sure. Um, well, I'll just kind of talk briefly. There, there are the three main income driven plans that any, that we should be looking at. One is pay as you earn. One is revised pay as you earn. And then the third one is income based repayment IBR. Now don't ask me why they named all these things so close in names. Right. Um, so pay as you earn is probably one of the best ones for people who are going for income driven repayment. Now, anyone who took out loans after 2007, um, after October 1st, 2007, and has all direct federal loans is eligible for pay as you earn. The reason this is one of the better plans is because it's, uh, you pay based upon 10% of your income, which is one of the lower ones out there right now. And, it, and to get to that taxable loan forgiveness, it's a 20 year plan, which is the shortest of the three. So you get the, one of the lowest payment amounts and you get the shortest distance. The other thing it does is if someone's married to someone who doesn't have student debt, and whether they are or not, it allows, uh, allows someone to file their taxes separately to exclude their spouse's income. That was so, a question I was going to ask you. Yeah. So pay as you earn, anyone who's eligible for pay as you earn, if they know they're going for long-term income driven repayment and their debt to income, you know, is, you know, a reasonable one, like two to one, maybe even three to one, um, pay as you earn is usually a really, really good plan. Um, so that, that's pay as you earn. Uh, I'll go to IBR next, income-based repayment. So IBR is like pay as you earn. You can file your taxes separately. Um, the only difference is, is that it's 15% of income for 25 years. So anyone who's eligible for pay, in my mind, doesn't need to look at IBR. So if you're eligible for pay as you earn, you don't need to look at this plan, but it's for those of you that aren't, who took out loans before 2007, maybe an undergrad or whatever, then you would not be eligible for pay. So then IBR would be the only other option that would allow you to file separately to exclude spouse's income from the calculation. Okay. So that's IBR in a nutshell. Okay. So then the third one is the most recent one that came out, which is repay, revised pay as you earn. Now this is 10% um, of income like pay. <laughs> this is where it gets a little confusing. So it, it has one of the lowest payment strategies, but instead of being a 20 year plan, it's a 25 year plan. Gotcha. So it's think longer than repay is longer than pay in terms of the name and also in terms of the term. So how do okay. you, how do you get to the point where you're eligible for each of these? Obviously the first one is the, the pays you earn is 2007, uh, any loans after that, but if you have something before that you're excluded. And so the other one is pretty much everyone can do right. Uh, the, the, um, income-based repayment. 
how do you get the revised? Revised basic year, and you have to have all direct federal loans. So if you have any of these legacy FFEL or, you know, they call them FL loans, the, these are not eligible for repay or pay. Um, the downside, especially for dentists with repay, is that there's no payment cap. So if, if you have that dentist who is earning 500000 and owes three fifty, then with pay as you earn, there's a payment cap. That payment will never go over, let's call it $4,000. But with repay, as that dentist income grows to five fifty, their payment could jump up over that, that $4,000 mark, whereas pay, there's a cap on it. So in general, pay is going to be repay for most dentists. Um, the only question is, you know, I mean, there obviously are some nuances to that. It kind of depends on spouse's income, spousal loan situation, um, you know, how much debt to income there actually is. And there's many other factors. But for the most part, um, you know, if someone, again, if someone's eligible for pay, as you earn, they have direct loans. They took their first loans out after 2007. They don't really need to look at IBR, income-based repayment. But if, and in that way, we would only want to compare pay and repay. But if someone right. isn't eligible for pay, then we compare repay versus IBR. So I could go in and in number detailed, but that's that's basically like IBR and pay have the payment cap can have you file separately. Repay doesn't, but for those that aren't eligible for pay, it might be okay if there's a, if if you know depending on debt to income and spousal income situation. All right, fantastic. Now the last thing I'm going to say is uh, maybe a little controversial. You may disagree with me here. Everyone always talks about debt, and they talk about good debt, and they talk about bad debt. And um, in my opinion, there are better debts and worse debts. There's no real good debt. So mm -hmm. if, if you are out there and you've got these huge student loans, you're out there, you're a new grad, you're listening to this show. Remember, there is no such thing as good debt. Get out of debt. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll be more free. And, uh, and frankly, you'll just be a genuinely happier person in a better financial position. Agree or disagree? <laughs> yeah, I, I I love for everyone to be debt free. I, I I mean I'm not a I don't like the good debt bad debt thing, but I would say that, you know, when you, becoming a dentist might be worth it. I don't want to say I mean worth it is probably too strong of a word, but to have the ability to earn a multiple six figure income, it might be worth it to go to school that costs four hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars to have a lifetime of ability to make that kind of income. Absolutely, but. But what we have to do is be careful about how we approach paying it back. You know, there's a lot of um, the thing about student loans is that they operate, like I said, so much different than any other kind of debt. You got credit card debt. Absolutely. 100%. Get out of it. Slam the door. Don't go back in. It's the worst kind of debt. Um, aside from like, you know, payday loans and more predatory. predatory I was going to say, except for Guido and his boys, you know, other than that, credit <laughs> card is about the worst. Right. But the, the idea is that if someone has the debt, figure out the, the smartest way to repay it. Because there are some circumstances where income-driven repayment can actually mean spending less out of pocket to pay off the debt than it would to pay it back in full. And so what we want to do, the, the idea is that, another idea is that um, probably the most important thing is being on an income-driven plan where the payments are low is not a license to spend money. If you're not going to use extra money at the end of the month to pay off debt, then you want to use it to really ramp up your savings and investments and your net worth on that Absolutely. Side of the balance sheet. Absolutely. So, and what we've seen is a lot of people with, with six-figure student debt, you know, there's all this talk about millennials and how, you know, they're not responsible with money. It's actually, the stats show the opposite, that millennials are some of the best budgeters, that they are, are they take their finances very seriously. And it's, I think it's because of the student debt. Um, 
and uh, and they've seen their parents grow up, you know, in the '99 tech bubble and the 2008 Great Recession, and they are much more financially responsible. So, I would just say, kind of like I'd say, most debt is bad debt, and I wouldn't classify student debt as good debt. Like I don't, but at the same time, it's it's not about it's about paying it back the under the current rules, which are different than any other kind of debt. And then if you are going that low payment route taking the opportunity to build up your net worth in other ways, instead of just spending it and it's gone. Could not agree more. And I'll tell you um, the situation with myself, I, I'm completely debt-free. Uh, my wife awesome. and I are both professionals. She's a veterinarian and I'm a dentist. And I actually looked exactly at this. It's one of the reasons I was interested in bringing you on. Um, what we did is we snowballed her debt. We just mm-hmm. paid the hell out of it. So we'd have that extra income. What we did with mine is I did an income-based payment plan, paid as little as possible. And mm-hmm. as I would make more, because I was a practice owner very early in my career, like, like within a year of graduating, um, I actually used all that money to build infrastructure because then that didn't come to my personal income tax. And I also funded education mm-hmm. for my entire team so that I could, I could make the business pay for that, not me. And so I ended up being able to stay on that. And then as we, as we got to the point where we could um, actually, actually retire, um, we, we actually reached that point um, a couple of years ago. It, what we did is we just um, each sold part of one of our practices and used that to pay off the rest of my loans and, you know, finish up our savings for our retirement. But it was a very, in, it was a very intentional process and, and that's, I think, the message I'm trying to get across is if you want to be able to live a very, very good life, this field, dentistry, is amazing for that. But you've got to live intentionally. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, part of what, and what most of the people I work with on the budget side, the problem is they could be earning a very nice income, but their lifestyle and their spending has grown right into that income. And most people go right up to the point where they're teetering. They might be a little bit above that. So they mm-hmm. rack up a little bit of credit card debt or they're a little bit below that and just barely saving anything. Um, so I have this rule like in the family budget experts that I call it the 50-50 rule. And basically what that is, is any increase in income that someone has, you take at least half of it and throw it at net worth building activities, paying back debt, investing, saving. You take the other half and you can increase your lifestyle by the other half. Because, you know, as you know, like being married and with, with kids, you know, you don't always have that you're making decisions with other people in mind. And so one person might be a spender, one person might be a saver. And this 50, 50 rule helps the spender feel like we can, we can actually live a little bit better life and provide more for our kids as our income's growing and for the saver side. But yeah, but we're also building a rock solid financial future because we're putting half of everything additional into that. And, and when we, you do that, it's, you're like unstoppable. I completely agree. I, I think my advice would be run your family, run your family economy as if it is a business and don't run your business like a piggy bank. Mm-hmm. And if you do those two things, you're going to be immensely successful. Bob, thanks for joining us today. I'm going to leave you with our parting words before we sign off. Um, is there anything else that you would just want to get out there any that you're extremely extremely qualified to give financial advice of all sorts if there's anything that you want to tell our listeners that they can do right now or anything you want them to be aware of that's coming up 
that they need to be preparing for? Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah, I, w- I would say that the number one skill set people people get um, trying to make things too complicated and they try to fill up too many buckets at once. You know, they're putting money into this, they're putting money there, they're putting money towards this and that. The most important thing is having money left over at the end of the month so that you can choose which one to go towards. So for the most successful people financially, they don't really, it's not really an income thing. It's, it's a savings rate thing. So that's why I started Family Budget Expert was because I found that I was creating plans for people, but the feedback was, I don't have any money to put towards this plan. So what difference does it make? <laughs> and so that's when I said, well, if I help people come up with the extra money at the end of the month, then they can unlock it, like unlocks the, the gears, uh, unlocks the brakes so that they can then build whatever they want. So focus on getting that margin at the end of the month between what's coming in and what's going out. The bigger that is, it almost, it's so secondary what you do with that money. The most important thing is having that money left over. Um, but then, and then finally, also, I would say if, if anyone is, if any of you are having like anxiety around your student loans or uncertainty, or not really sure what to do, the best thing you can do is you can, you can, I would sign up for a consult, studentloanplanner.com slash help, because I'm telling you that there's an, there's an epidemic of anxiety around student debt. And that's part of our mission is to help people from a mental health standpoint, feel better about it. And the best thing you can do is have a clear plan, understand the options, work with a professional who knows what they're talking about and get, get a handle on that. So if you're experiencing any anxiety or depression symptoms from your student debt, we'd be happy to help you get a clear path forward. Okay, folks, you've wasted another hour listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you so much for being a listener on the Dear Doc podcast. And thank you for joining us again. For now, this is Doc Huffpower signing off. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc podcast your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.